Q&A in a moment. We're first going to spend time with Anup Jain uh, of Oriel Venture Partners. Um, so folks, those of you who are coming into the room, um, I will open up the line for participation, but in the meantime, your public chat is open. You can absolutely use the public chat to ask questions, participate before the line is open. So, Welcome, Alup, to the show. Uh, let's get acquainted. Let's get you acquainted with the audience. Uh, tell us a bit about your background as well as more about Aureus. Thank you, Shamana. Great to be on your 1 million by 1 million uh, roundtable. Pleasure to be here. Um, so my background, look, uh, I'm an accidental VC, if I may call it. I didn't grow up uh, here in this ecosystem, but I'm uh, very passionate about uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, and uh, when I started my corporate career with Procter & Gamble after finishing in engineering and MBA, it was a dream job and all of that. But um, I've always been, uh, you know, excited by doing uh, uh, excited about doing innovations and disruptions, something which challenges the status quo and uh, brings about meaning to all stakeholders. So uh, as luck would have it, I uh, happen to have gotten all those assignments in my long corporate career, uh, which required exactly those skills and had a bit of technology uh, in there. So that kept me very satisfied. And sure enough, when uh, India was booming and was uh, racing down this uh, technology highway and startups decided to boom and uh, I felt that it was the right time to step in but in a role of a mentor and an investor and uh, that's what got me into this ecosystem uh, back in again uh, starting 2015-16 and I've been here ever since uh, and, uh, and, and uh, what better place than to be in the early stage space and uh, that's how I am at Orias. And uh, how did you get connected with Orias? So um, I began um, angel investing uh, soon after that, as um, uh, you know, uh, 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 as India was booming with early stage startup ecosystem around that time, which is 2015-16, and uh, that's when I met up with Rehan, who was the founder uh, of uh, Rice, yeah. and he was looking for a partner, and that's how we met up, and um, that's how I came on board. Now um, I knew Rehan for a long time, and um, Rehan's. I would say Rehan's instinct is more on the consumer side, and, and you come from Procter & Gamble, so is your instinct also more on the consumer side? Well, let's put it this way. Look, uh, I've traveled the length and breadth of the country, always uh, uh, kept an eye out for business opportunities. I'm a gen after all. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, work's taken me to different domains. I've worked in different industries, consumer, retail, dealt with the trade, um, and um, yeah, lived overseas as well, worked overseas as well. So that brought in a lot of knowledge uh, of how things could shape up in India as India emerges from being a developing uh, nation to a developed nation uh, in the coming years and technology would have played an inevitable part of that. So um, yeah, I keep my consumer instincts right there intact and bring on everything else uh, through gathering a lot of knowledge, reading, and just listening and uh, seeing uh, where the opportunities are. So let's, uh, let's talk about both of those um, uh, topics. One is 
how do you, you know, Rehan has been here. We, Rehan and I have talked over the years many, many times, actually. Um, what is your current analysis of where we are in the Indian ecosystem and, and what, are, what trends are you seeing, what trends are you predicting, projecting, and how are you uh, evolving Orias? Again, Orias has been around for a long time. It was one of the early players in the Indian early stage ecosystem. So how are you evolving it to align with those trends? So the Indian ecosystem uh, today, as it stands, is uh, number three, uh, you know, in the world in terms of uh, the number of startups, unicorns, and it's contributing in a big way, not just here and but also globally. Uh, India is known as a tech superpower, and uh, it's coming to play over here domestically uh, as also for the world, which is which is the best uh, you know trend that we could have had because so far the first wave of IT companies that came in from India were actually service, or were serving the world, and which is the likes of TCS and Infosys, and they continue to do a good job and uh, make India proud. But now what we're doing is uh, seeing a lot of cloud-based internet companies which are solving India's problems in different sectors. And as uh, you know, the government has um, announced that India wants to be a five trillion economy in the coming years. Uh, so how do we gallop the economy is a question. And uh, the obvious answer to this, uh, just like uh, manufacturing was uh, for China back in 1995, and uh, it started racing thereafter, uh, a, a similar answer lies in the use of technology uh, here in India and harnessing it for every possible sector that matters to the country's GDP. So Orias, um, as a fund, has identified uh, six um, sectors which are going to drive the economy, uh, whether it's agriculture, um, uh, financial services, uh, marketplaces which drive productivity and efficiencies, uh, new content and gaming, and uh, also uh, health, uh, which is a very important part of making any uh, uh, emerging market a developed one. And uh, all of this is not possible unless uh, we get skilled manpower. So education is at the heart of this, and we believe in uh, upskilling India and uh, how young uh, this country is tells you how many how many students and uh, how many hopefuls are here to actually participate in this economy of the future. Uh, so that's the last uh, uh, sector that we feel is pivotal, uh, along with the others, uh, to, to shaping India into one of the largest uh, tech ecosystems as also driving its own ambition of being a five trillion economy in the coming years. And what is the fund size of Orias these days? So um, I, would, I would comment on the check size um, and uh, what we've gone, and you asked about how we have uh, you know, been shaping up in response um, to all the trends. Um, as you know, the check sizes at the seed stage have gone up and uh, in response to that, uh, Orias invests anywhere between one and a half million to two and a half million dollars in a seed stage startup with some traction. So we look for uh, uh, some degree of data and traction before we make that investment. Um, Pre-seed uh, is an area which is very vibrant with deal flow at this point of time. And 2021 was, I guess, one of the high points uh, for India as well on this end. And therefore we feel that we should uh, participate 
given the rate of digital adoption uh, in the economy with a larger check because econ because companies uh, are being given the opportunity, um, uh, given the affinity of consumers to actually scale much faster. So they shouldn't have to come back uh, to investors uh, over shorter periods of time to seek uh, extension of runways or to conduct experiments or indeed to scale, um, you know, to, a, to, a, to, the, to the next level. So we've responded so, uh, to this. I have a question on uh, what you just said about pre-seeds. You are doing seed in the 1.5 to 2 million range, which means somebody else is doing the pre-seeds to get to that level of validation so that you can come in with a larger check. What is your analysis of the pre-seed ecosystem right now? Are, you know, how, how much pre-seed work is going on and then how much of what you're seeing is actually in your pipeline is bootstrapped entrepreneurs going straight into seed? So the pre-seed um, um, ecosystem today is absolutely vibrant. Uh, I would say there is there is so much activity over there. Uh, there is a lot of specialization which has also come in as well. So one has seen the rise of uh, specific, um, you know, networks and platforms uh, who are focusing on, say, gaming or uh, crypto or just plain agriculture or just education. Uh, so a lot of uh, specialization has come into the space. Uh, and it has been set up by uh, people who have been associated with those spaces in some way or the other, and they have brought on uh, founders uh, from different uh, domains in a big way, uh, forming a specialist vehicle. What that has meant is that uh, the quality of deal flow from some of these sources is excellent, and we feel uh, really good about that as uh, somebody coming in as an institutional check uh, uh, because we can rely on some of these specialists to have done some of that filtration as well as early mentoring to take the load off our uh, back, so to speak. And uh, we can then focus on taking them to the next level. And uh, what is your estimate of how many startups are in the ecosystem right now? Oh, well, that'll be hard to imagine. Uh, I would imagine that there would be thousands. And uh, this is just uh, those who uh, we are able to see through various sources, but there could be uh, many, many of these. Um, and um, I would say that, look, um, um, tier two cities, tier three cities are yet to see that explosion. Uh, so largely the startup ecosystem in India has been concentrated between two cities. One is uh, Delhi NCR, um, where I'm based, as you can make out from the background. Uh, specifically Gurgaon and a bit of Noida, and uh, also uh, Bangalore. So uh, these mm -hmm. have been the two principal cities of hyperactivity, and almost 80% of uh, all tech startups uh, are kind of based over here, which means a lot of talent migration has taken place to these cities. Uh, founders have moved to one or, uh, uh, you know, both of these cities to set up offices and to set up uh, work over here. And uh, we yet to see uh, some of that trickle down to, let's say, a Hyderabad or or some other location uh, like a Chennai, et cetera. So, um, um, uh, yeah, but but uh, there are uh, thousands at this point of time, uh, I would imagine, at a pre-seed level. And what we see is only a few hundreds. Mm. You know, I actually think that the number of people who are working on startups, they may not be quite making it to the 
VC deal flows yet, but it's it's more in the tens of thousands. Exactly. The level That's of true. interest, the aspiration of becoming an entrepreneur in India right now is is really exorbitant. That is true, and I would say that it's beginning earlier rather than later. Um, so um, it's not a phenomenon that you see when when uh, someone gives up a corporate career after six or ten years of work and decides to jump in because they've got a, a nice little financial cushion out there and uh, which lets them take the risk. Um, people are taking it up straight away uh, while even finishing their degrees and forming their teams and um, you know they're working on their ideas even before they leave college. So um, I think um, this is. Yeah, a lot of bootstrapping with a paycheck going on right now. There's <laughs> enormous amount of gigs. People are starting companies while holding onto their jobs. Yeah, well, that could be happening as well. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about your portfolio. Um, what what are some of the highlights of that you're really proud of and uh, that are illustrative of? You know how you operate, what you like, what you know, what stage did they come to you? Why did you pick them over others, given how many choices you have? Yeah, so I'll probably start with the um, uh, with the latter, which is the principles, and I think uh, all our companies, and I'll name a few of them uh, because it's not possible to go through all of them, uh, have to cross those barriers, and we're incredibly proud of uh, you know having invested in each one of them. Uh, irrespective of where they might be at the moment, it's only a matter of time uh, before each one achieves its own full potential. Um, I think we look uh, at the early stage for quality of founders and their level of cohesion. Uh, and therefore, when, when they pitch to us, we look for uh, a well-crafted, a well-communicated storyline. Uh, mm -hmm. And that is extremely important because in there is the rational and the emotional stuff, both of it. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it's not just uh, that a founder gets up one day and decides to start a company because there is money in it. Uh, the passion has to come from somewhere, right? And the passion is often a personal experience or having worked somewhere, seen a gap or an opportunity. And along with it is something deeply personal, which is usually about making an impact, or achieving one's full potential in a particular space or some event in one's life. It's important for us as investors um, and especially for our eyes to know where they're coming from and how deeply committed, therefore, they are to building that uh, dream despite all the uh, pitfalls of entrepreneurship, all the disappointments, all the late nights and all uh, the missing of family time and personal time and uh, fears and insecurities that come along with um, setting up one's business. Uh, so uh, that's something that we look forward to. Uh, we generally go for uh, a founding team which has uh, more than one founder, uh, although mm -hmm. it's not uh, uh, it, it, it's not a hard and fast rule, I would say. Sometimes uh, a single founder can blow your socks off and be quite, um, uh, and it's not that they are not complete. But uh, it's always good to have the yin and the yang. It's um, in, a, in a tech company, it's good to have the front end, the business end, and uh, good to have someone looking uh, at the back end, at the delivery, and uh, looking at processes and operations while uh, the front end is taken care of. It's a, it's a good combination, we feel, 
that holds the company in good stead. It also brings realism in terms of strategy and execution, what's possible uh, or what's not possible. Uh, and we look for those cues where the two of them are moving in tandem and happy and complement each other. Um, so that's, that's uh, one part of it. Of course, I think I'll be repeating uh, what many other investors would say, which is uh, we look for a large market, we look for valid problem statements. Uh, since we are focused in India, uh, we have a deep knowledge of the country and all the partners have traveled the length and breadth of this country personally, uh, taken every, every possible means of transport, lived in uh, you know not just Delhi, Mumbai and Bangalore, but traveled beyond. So we uh, understand uh, those problems intuitively and uh, we should be able to see a genuine problem being solved for a large uh, number of stakeholders. Uh, which can then lead to uh, a viable and a sustainable business. Um, and uh, and that's that's very important as well, because funding is uh, is only in the initial period uh, of establishing a company, its proposition and scaling it to a certain level. Beyond that, the business model itself has to sustain the company. Investors can't keep coming in uh, after you've scaled uh, um, to a certain level. Uh, and that's very important uh, for us to be able to get conviction on. And that, I think the root cause of that is sometimes uh, sizing of the market and the problem statement, uh, which really defines how much pain is being felt with current uh, methods and solutions, and therefore how much of market share uh, can be taken out by the unique solution that the company uh, is placing in front of the same stakeholders. Um, so that's the second bit. Uh, third, of course, as I mentioned, we would like to see some early signs of uh, some experiments, some learnings, some successes and failures, and how founders are dealing with it. Uh, I think the last part is extremely important uh, because problem solving or hacking, as it is called um, in the in the tech world, is extremely important. So when you when you get stopped in your tracks, what do you do? You have to find a different uh, route. Um, and you have to find the shortest and the most optimized way to reach uh, to the same destination. And um, you don't have unlimited resources, uh, time's on a clock, and that means money's on the clock as well. Um, and uh, you've got to reach there so that you can convince uh, yourself that you're building something really sizable and meaningful, uh, which is going to grow into something eventually sustainable. So, uh, I think these are the three things, um, just to name a few companies, of course, the more popular ones and household brands uh, today are FarmEasy, Country Delight, Go Mechanic. Uh, we have now Battery Smart in the area of electric mobility uh, infra. Uh, we have Genko's, yeah, uh, Genko's in the area of financing healthcare carbon, which is in the area of uh, uh, corporate cards and uh, SME banking. Um, as well as uh, 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 a few others like NextWave, uh, which is there in the area of educating India's uh, engineers and getting them uh, ready to be tech professionals uh, uh, to serve anywhere in the world. Uh, so uh, these are some of the companies, um, and this is just a handful, uh, by no means uh, a comprehensive list, but each one of the companies and founders um, that we, uh, that we sil select uh, tend to uh, pass by all these filters, no doubt about that. Anna, let's 
um, double click down on, on a couple of issues across your portfolio and, and you can use whatever example you want to use in answering my question. What are you seeing by way of successful business models? What, what appeals to you the most when you see a company and you're obviously pattern matching against the business models that are working, what do you like the most? What we like uh, the most is uh, uh, capital efficiency. When we see uh, a go-to-market strategy uh, in operation, and when we see that the way uh, the market has been approached with a solution um, that is creating the necessary virality and bringing down future customer acquisition costs, uh, it is the healthiest sign of a business on all counts. It means that the initial set of consumers are incredibly satisfied. It means that they are passing on referrals to others free of cost to you. And that is bringing down the cost of consumer acquisition, which essentially points to scalability and uh, consumers uh, uh, of uh, a similar kind uh, existing in great numbers uh, coming into you organically, which uh, points to, uh, again, uh, is a sign of scalability very clearly, and which all points to capital efficiency, which means that you can uh, reach that destination uh, much faster than others. Uh, so it is this uh, magic formula uh, which founders and talented founders are able to crack through a mix of uh, their product, their go-to-market strategies uh, that they're able to bring to the table. So I think these two are extremely no, no, critical. What you're looking for is more unique and not unique, more effective go-to-market strategies and against whatever business model is working in that go-to-market strategy. Yes, uh, uh, the, uh, the reason is very clear. Uh, uh, look, two sets of talented founders can probably crack uh, uh, probably a product which is not too dissimilar to each other, right? But eventually it's gonna be the go-to-market strategy of roping in those consumers, finding that mix between new customer, customer acquisition and uh, improving the product and the pace of it, which is gonna differentiate one versus the other and therefore one is gonna race ahead uh, of the other uh, much faster and become a number one. So it's, uh, it's a difference between a number one and a number two and a number two and a number three. Um, and and uh, that essentially uh, uh, boards very well uh, for scalability uh, because we are investing behind high growth models uh, where the problem is large uh, and therefore when you launch a product the right way, uh, you can keep fine tuning the product and, uh, but if you don't have the right go to market strategy, if you haven't executed that well uh, and if the costs oh. are too high, then it becomes very difficult. Yeah. How much discipline are you seeing, especially in the companies that are becoming successful in the early stages and getting flushed with capital? How much discipline are you seeing on unit economics of go-to-market strategies? Um, a very good question, um, Shamana. So this is uh, different for different sets of founders. I must say that uh, at Arias, we've been uh, lucky uh, to find uh, sets a set of founders who are extremely conscious and responsible with the funds that they have. 
and therefore indulgences uh, is not something that I've heard uh, them discussing either with us or privately so. So they guard their money, they, uh, uh, they, they guard uh, uh, their ideas, they test and experiment. Uh, that's the lifeblood of any startup, but they do it in a pragmatic and judicious manner. And so far we haven't seen uh, at least that in our folio. And I'm very, uh, I mean, I'm, I feel very lucky about that. Um, uh, generally across the board, I think, uh, it, um, I think what you're alluding to is uh, the situation may not be so. And in which case, uh, uh, it is inevitable that uh, those companies will run out of uh, cash pretty fast because they've made large commitments that they can't walk out of. And that's, that's extremely dangerous. Um, as also we have seen uh, the recent macros have been not too favorable uh, around the world with the geopolitical situation and you know, inflation, et cetera. Um, so some of the uh, sounds have been quite uh, negative on the funding front, particularly at late stage. Uh, and therefore, it's very um, it's very important that um, in, you know, irrespective of a macro situation, uh, I feel that our general advice to founders is um, uh, put your money to good use. Uh, you know, don't don't wait for uh, don't wait for the right opportunity to do that. Um, you should be doing that every day. What is your estimate of uh, the unicorns, the heavily funded unicorns? in the Indian ecosystem, how many of those are going to become sustainable, successful companies? Well, my wish is that each one of them uh, do become sustainable, so India becomes a wish? beacon. Absolutely. I'm for <laughs> I haven't performed an analysis, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I do hope and wish. Uh, but I think a large uh, number, uh, I would say 80% and up, uh, should be uh, definitely uh, walking a straight line, walking a tight line, and uh, will be able to and should be able to do that. Um, uh, you know, I don't have any particular names in mind when I talk about the balance 20%, but a general, uh, statistically, you know, a general one, uh, seeing some of the global uh, uh, phenomenon as well, uh, could have, uh, you know, less than impressive results, uh, although they could be sustainable uh, as well. But whether they will create those Iconic stories. I think, um, yeah, they could be a they. They could be something that separates the men from the boys, as they say, even in that club. Let's talk about go-to-market strategy. What are you seeing as some of the, you know, most effective go-to-market strategies out there? We're hearing a lot about these uh, short videos, like the, you know, TikTok reels kind of stuff, being one of the ways people are finding a lot of traction. So what, what are you seeing as the most effective channels of customer acquisition? Well, it's different for uh, different sectors and therefore what applies in, you know, agri may not apply in D2C. What applies in financial services may not apply in, uh, in, in uh, let's say health. Uh, so different uh, strategies, uh, you know, will be there for customer acquisition. Uh, however, uh, it is indeed uh, correct that short videos or the creator economy has taken off in India as well. Uh, thousands of uh, freelancers today are uh, producing meaningful content right from their homes, mm -hmm. um, whether it's entertainment. Uh, for example, we have invested recently 
in a company called uh, Bolo Live, uh, which is about live streaming of content by creators from small town India. And uh, it is a perfect example of how uh, the creator economy producing uh, content for entertainment in this case uh, is doing the job of entertainment, right? And is competing therefore for your time in front of the telly or in front of Netflix or in front of anything else that you might be watching. Uh, similarly, uh, uh, there has been uh, a tremendous dependency, if I may call it, um, of direct-to-consumer brands, which have indeed become big in the last two years, uh, on influencers who are producing this content. And of course, the pandemic gave a lot of opportunity to everybody, including all of us, uh, to produce as much content as we like, because you know we were all uh, cooped up in our homes. Uh, so, um, uh, people have really taken to the Instas and other platforms, YouTube, etc., to produce content of all kinds. They've been identified by some of these brands as being aligned, uh, uh, perhaps, to their brand charter and equity. And therefore, now there are even companies and startups which are linking these creators to these brands in a, in a systematic, programmatic uh, fashion. Uh, to be able to drive the agenda of uh, consumer acquisition for these brands, of course, at a, at a cost which would be considered attractive. Uh, uh, whether it is meaningful to have such a uh, customer acquisition strategy, I think yes. Uh, the good old days of the 30-second uh, television ad uh, signed up with a paid celebrity um, costs too much. Uh, along with the sales and distribution costs, and that's the old CPG FMCG model of uh, of legacy brands, if I can call them that, uh, on your show. But um, um, uh, today's brands are relying on a direct contact with consumers through social media platforms, and uh, they can't do that job alone from their own handles. So they need real people using their products and espousing their products. Yeah, using uh, uh, not a selling tone, but a telling tone. Um, and when you get interested in the tale um, or the story, you, you tend to buy the product that you find mentioned in that story as well. So that's the hope. And that I think is far more uh, brand building and far more uh, convincing for a consumer of today uh, versus yesterday. And uh, what is your experience or your portfolio's experience with Google search these days, that's also going up in price. And uh, what are you seeing in, in your portfolio? Well, for some of our companies um, who are doing uh, uh, consumer acquisition, uh, it tends to be part of the bouquet they use. I wouldn't say that it's the only thing that they use. Uh, it remains useful uh, because after all it is, uh, it is based on intent-based search. So yeah. uh, uh, it therefore uh, speaks very well to acquisition. Uh, only a person with a high intent would type in uh, a keyword, which uh, is close enough uh, you know, to, to, to doing business with your company. And therefore it makes sense to place the ad in front of them and uh, get them over the line. Um, so it is part of the bouquet, uh, but its relative importance in the scheme of things, uh, I think, has come down uh, for companies which are also looking at alternative methods like the creator economy for building uh, their brands 
uh, in a more powerful way uh, because it's difficult to build a brand, especially uh, uh, just by just placing them some text uh, that comes up uh, when you when you when you hit a search button on a keyword. So uh, it is it is highly uh, uh, conversion oriented and not brand building oriented. So I think one has to use a mix of the two strategies. Uh, so larger brands tend to spend obviously bigger budgets on conversion because the brand is already built and it's time to encash that at the optimized cost. But brands which are looking at building themselves, um, they're looking at uh, socials, influencers, creators, all sorts of other methods to tell their story in a more powerful manner. One of the biggest beneficiaries of India's venture capital boom is the creator economy. Well, one is that, and second, I would say, is um, India's youth. Um, they, they they have an alternative. Uh, you know, they wanted to work in uh, co-working environments or out of cafes or in hybrid work cultures. Uh, the tech economy is providing that much more readily than um, old and legacy companies, which are finding it very difficult to implement it, given their um, given their cultures. So um, I think it's been great for talent, um, young talent uh, graduating at this point of time uh, to find work in companies which are making an impact, which have vibrant work environments um, and uh, are fast paced and bring a lot of challenges uh, because one is young, uh, one is wanting to do all of that. Uh, well, and the adoption of online learning has really accelerated since the pandemic. So. The combination of this, you know, lots of opportunities for youth and lots of mechanisms of training that youth has been very powerful. Well, that is true. Um, um, uh, I think um, uh, upskilling, and which is why you know, Arias made an investment in NextWave uh, uh, recently, and uh, we're very excited by the opportunity of upskilling. Thus, I think um, I, I'm forgetting the source of the report, but um, uh, one of the reports I read said that. Um, every uh, employed Indian today requires about 100 days of uh, upskilling um, to be in step with the industry's needs, and that includes me as well. Uh, so there is um, ample opportunity uh, for us to uh, uh, for us to learn, and uh, I think online is a very powerful way to refresh yourself and to stay in step. And there is enough content going around um, in the online medium. Yes, so I agree with you. And uh, you mentioned earlier that the, the Indian startup boom has happened in two cities, uh, Bangalore and Delhi, the NCR area. Uh, we've had a lot of success in Chennai as well. We are probably the, some of the bigger stories in SaaS came out of Chennai, actually. There's a lot of the fresh work. But, um, but let me ask you the question about wh what are you seeing in the other places? and. You know, the, some of the reasons why, why I ask this question is we are seeing companies coming out of Chandigarh and coming out of, you know, many places that are not Bangalore and Delhi NCR. And, and that's part of the vision of One Million by One Million is to enable, mm -hmm. you know, not only all of India, all corners of India, but all corners of the world. So we have companies from Tanzania, we have companies from, you know, Chandigarh, and, and we're very proud of that. So, um, and of course, I'm from Calcutta, so I've always had a soft corner for Calcutta, which it takes an infinitely long time to get its back together. But, you know, <laughs> uh, but it is a different India. It is a different world. It is a different working environment. So, 
So how is that impacting the startup ecosystem? Um, so I think uh, there are two things. Um, I think there's aspiration everywhere. There is no doubt about that, right? So yeah. it's not that um, only um, um, only only people living in Delhi and Bangalore um, are are feeling, uh, you know, like founding a startup. But uh, uh, it's happening everywhere. So I think that that aspiration is universal amongst India's youth and not so not so young as well. Experience anybody who wants to uh, uh, you know plan. Uh, uh, start a startup, but at the same time, I think the resources are, uh, you know, at this point of time, clustered in these two cities in a big way, and uh, uh, finding the right team members, finding, uh, you know, those tech um, alphas, you know, all of that, therefore, becomes much easier, uh, and which is the reason why founders then migrate to um, either of these cities. Also, I think from an investor's uh, point of view, you will find most investors having, uh, you know, their presence in Delhi, Mumbai and Bangalore. And um, and therefore it becomes easy to have those conversations, to be able to meet up with them in a post-COVID world. Um, there are lots of events and mixers, uh, things that are happening over here, which, which, which help a founder, uh, you know, exchange notes, uh, clarify anything, uh, form networks, which is incredibly, uh, you know, important as well in the entire uh, in, in, in the entire journey. I do hope and wish that you know uh, every city, every principal city. I mean, down to Ahmedabad, Surat, whatever you name it, Chandigarh, uh, you know, Calcutta, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, should all have their own ecosystems. And I hope you grow to that level. Uh, but at this point of time, uh, this is where things are. But there's aspiration everywhere. So um, how are you uh, seeing in Silicon Valley? We see a trend where there are founders in Silicon Valley, but they have operations elsewhere. And there are a lot of US geographies that are coming up very well against this trend, basically. You know, Vermont has created this special program to have remote workers live there, some tax incentives, et cetera, et cetera. This phenomenon, Utah has become a major hub. Yes. Um, so, so are you seeing that? So are people setting up companies in Bangalore, in Delhi, but having a satellite somewhere else? So I think the um, um, uh, I think that um, you know uh, we are behind the U.S., <laughs> but uh, I'm sure when it grows to a uh, grows beyond a certain size, and um, I think uh, 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 it is reaching that point when we will see some of these incentives being rolled out. The good thing is that uh, the state governments, just like uh, you know, you took some names out there in the U.S. like Utah and Vermont, etc. Uh, the same way, uh, a lot of states today have realized the potential of uh, uh, this ecosystem on their own economies and the reason to roll out the red carpet. Um, so um, uh, the day is not far when we will hear of uh, such incentives being played out. I mean, tax holidays and things like that could could change the whole uh, complexion of it. But there's also market dynamics, right? There is tremendous attrition in the Bangalore NCR economies. There's tremendous attrition. The talent war is furious. So, so people do look for alternate ways of, uh, of you know, accessing pools of talent. Oh, absolutely. I think um, uh, it's, uh, you know, with the uh, hybrid work culture that has been implemented by most uh, uh, tech companies, 
where uh, workers can or employees can decide uh, where to base themselves and on certain days come in for meetings or you know face-to-face uh, yeah. -face kind of catch-ups even in Arias uh, you know uh, we have implemented this uh, hybrid culture so uh, we can we can work from anywhere uh, and all our colleagues can do that and uh, we come together um, you know to meet up with each other when there is a need for a face-to-face or we also conduct offsites, et cetera, so to, to, to help, uh, you know, people get to know each other better. So it just augurs very well for productivity uh, because obviously in the most uh, populated of cities, um, there is deep congestion and we don't want to lose productivity on, uh, on the commute. Uh, we'd rather have employees energized, charged up and uh, contributing fully in, um, over, a, over a call uh, like this. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, uh... I think all these dynamics that have happened in COVID, there have been lots of bad things that have happened in COVID, but there are a few very, very significant productivity gains that have happened in COVID. One of them is being able to work without commute from anywhere. And, and, and I think that also bodes very well for the more distributed development of India and the world in general. I see today, American investors have no trouble investing in people over Zoom calls, which was not the case. Before COVID, that was absolutely not the case. So, uh, so I think that people are much more on a level footing. And you can sell to uh, global customers, but even B2B customers, you can sell without actually meeting uh, in person, even larger deals. So these are very entrepreneur-friendly trends. Oh, absolutely. I think um, you hit the nail. Uh, we've done investments in startups and met the founders uh, post the pandemic, uh, you know, one and a half years later or one year later. And um, uh, we're not outliers. I mean, uh, of course, um, uh, every other investors, uh, you know, change their point of view and which is augurs very well for the ecosystem. And for founders as well, they can, they can um, you know, focus on building their companies. They don't have to take those expensive flights, take that time off. Uh, right. You know, to be in a different city but to just do two meetings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's all that's right. Very well. it, uh, it was a real pleasure speaking with you, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Um, it was very interesting catching up on what's happening at Orias and uh, and in India in general. You know, I've been working on the Indian ecosystem since 2005. So, well, actually, I started a company um, with an Indian product backend in, in 1994, which was way before all this became mainstream. So it's been a fascinating uh, view of what has been going on from a development economic standpoint. And it's really, really interesting to see. Thank you, Shaman, okay. likewise. Uh, and um, yeah, I uh, look forward to being in touch. And um, uh, yeah, great to be on a round table sharing my views and talking to you a wonderful uh, morning U.S. time and uh, evening out here in India. Take care. Bye-bye.